I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. couple of things before we start. Yes, so excited and grateful for uh, you guys from Mops to be here today with us. Thank you so much. Um, we're going, to, yeah. <laughs> and um, thank you guys for doing our uh, after-service fellowship time. Um, just one quick note that, that uh, it, it's, it's, it's okay. We can deal with change. Um, and so there's going to be a little bit different kind of snacks. And one thing I noticed was that we have some folks with some, some nut allergies and stuff. So be careful what you eat if, you have, if that's a, a, a concern. So just, just be, be note, noted that, um, that uh, it's not the normal donuts, and that's okay. But it's okay. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so last week we had a family meeting, um, and uh, I just thank you very much for everybody that, um, that stuck around uh, after the service last week and just heard about a little bit of the, um, the workings, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff of the workings of our church. Um, one thing to, to mention, we do have uh, updated numbers this morning in the bulletin. Um, as you can see, uh, just, just something to bring to your attention. In, in general, we just wanted to, um, one of the things we talked about at the family meeting was when we give on a, on a Sunday morning, when we give, um, we give sacrificially, we give generously, we give out of worship. One of the reasons that we give the way that we do by passing offering baskets um, or by giving through EFT or uh, maybe sometimes you, you, you might have seen some folks with, I don't see one around here because I don't have mine in my pocket because I put it in the uh, basket, but you see those little wooden nickels. You might have seen uh, baskets of those in the back. Um, and the reason why we do that is because um, whether you give um, EFT, whether you give, you know, uh, so through some sort of automatic transfer or something like that, um, you, giving is worship. Uh, when we give, sometimes we, we wonder like, wow, what is the amount uh, that God wants from me? And one of the things we want to be able to, to, to kind of communicate to our body, and one of the things that we want to be uh, um, characteristic of our community, um, is that we want to remind each other that God wants not 10%, He wants 100%. God wants 100% of everything that you are. He wants to completely um, transform your life. He wants everything of your time and your talent and your treasure to be for His glory and to be dedicated to Him. Um, so as you pray through um, the, what giving means for you, I personally love to have a personal conversation with you. If you have any questions about um, what that looks like for you and uh, kind of um, uh, how, you, how you process that. Um, the other thing to mention is that this summer we'll be continuing like we did last year. We're going to do uh, a booth at the Frederick Road Fridays um, concert series that's uh, across the street over near Peace Pizza. Uh, on uh, 15 Miller Avenue. Um, and so there's actually going to be a sign-up sheet in the fellowship hall uh, for anybody that would like to, um, to volunteer. This, uh, anytime you do something like this, it requires uh, people, so it requires volunteers to, 
to staff the booth. And basically the idea is just to be there and have some fun. We have some fun things to play with the kids that are there and to just be a smiling face as we associate that smiling face to, to New Hope and to also St. Hilda's. So if you're interested in being a part of that, um, especially maybe if you are from the neighborhood of Catonsville, uh, it would be especially powerful if, if you served um, uh, the, the body that way. Um, so with that, Mark chapter 4, I'll invite the congregation at this time to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with him in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care? We're perishing. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who is, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Brothers and sisters, in the Lord all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this... The word of our God endures. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. So, I don't get to spend too much time on the water. But, like many others, I have always been attracted to the sea. If I had to do it over again, I think I might actually... I I, I wish I'd joined the Navy. I think I would have done all right. At the beginning of... um, of Moby Dick, the main character talks about being drawn to the ocean. He, he says, whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, And especially when my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off, then I account it is high time to get to sea as soon as I can. Waterfront homes are worth double what other homes are worth, and humanity in recent years have taken to spending all sorts of money traveling for vacation just to go down the ocean. For us, there is a magnetic mystery to the sea, even as documentaries such as uh, Blue Planet, they kind of lift that mystery for us just a little bit. There is still so much wonder and excitement when we think about the 70-some percent of the earth that's covered in the ocean. Even our own Alicia Poling has decided to, to intern at the National Aquarium this summer, and I hear that the Poling family is learning more than they ever wanted to know about fish. For myself, I, 
I feel like I, I never hear God more clearly than when I am near water or on water, and I, I just need to get there more often. But humanity's love for the aquatic wasn't always so clear. In the ancient world, the sea was synonymous with chaos. While even today, it's vital for any sailor to treat the ocean with a great deal of respect Still, our technological advancements have given us the tools to explore its mysteries and navigate waters with kind of an appropriate, cautious degree of confidence. We remove, if we were, when we remove that scientific information and those technological advancements from the equation, though, and put ourselves in the frame of mind of someone in the ancient world, the mystery and wonder that we're drawn to might actually turn into something far more terrifying. What, what makes us go like, oh, wow, oh, I love that, so cool, that, that weird fish, that weird creature that's under the sea. What makes us go, wow, would wake them go, no way, you know? Um, so as such, it's especially important that any time the Bible talks about the ocean or the sea, we need to be sharp, we need to be paying attention. To get more specific, the Hebrews weren't a seafaring people. Some of them played to, the, to their resources, of course. So they were fishermen. And, um, but they didn't use the sea. Uh, they didn't master it the way that others did. Their, their neighbors, the Phoenicians, for example, not only navigated the waters along the coasts of Africa, their, their economy depended on sea merchants. But the role of the sea in Hebrew literature, what's Hebrew literature? The Bible carried far more chaotic overtones. So, so anytime the sea is mentioned in Scripture, we need to pay attention, especially when the biblical literature says something about God in relation to the sea. So in the creation account in Genesis, God's Spirit sweeps over the face of the waters and out of the primal, formless void of the deep, God speaks life into existence. When God sees the human sinfulness has become widespread and damaging, he sends a flood to destroy it. In in the exodus from Egypt, when God rescues his people from slavery, they follow Moses and miraculously make their way through the waters of the Red Sea to find freedom from their oppressors. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean? This, of course, is a foreshadow to rescuing of God's people from slavery of sin. As we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and pass through the waters of baptism to freedom. In seminary, I took a class on humor and laughter in the Bible. And one of our primary texts was the tale of Jonah. The book of Jonah took on such new life for me uh, the first time that I read it as a comedy. Um, it was like a light bulb went off and I, and I read the story for the first time um, of course, this is a truth that VeggieTales picked up on pretty well. But still, the sea is a frightening character in the story. In the story, God tells Jonah to travel to the city of Nineveh and call them to repent of their wickedness. But instead, the story tells us that Jonah attempted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Good luck with that, Jonah. By going in the opposite direction of the city of uh, Tarshish, Uh, to the city of Tarshish via a boat. The story then says that God sent a mighty storm that frightened everybody on the boat, 
and caused them to, to each cry out to their gods. As the sailors ran around trying to secure the ship and, and lighten the load by throwing cargo overboard, Jonah's fast asleep. The captain of the boat has to, has to come down and wake Jonah up, and he says, we're going to wake up, we're all going to die. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In our passage this morning, did you notice how Jesus, on the same day that he had been teaching them about the economy of God's kingdom, tells the disciples, these fishermen, to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And isn't it interesting that the text says that they took him just as he was. See, here, Jesus, Jesus was a man who had heard the mission from his father, and he had every intention of following it. The fact that Jesus, the one who was perhaps Jonah, as he was meant to be, calms the storm it brings back all sorts of images for the people of God who from the lips of Jonah, for instance, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. See, the sea may be chaos. The sea may be mystery. The sea may be terrifying. But our God, our God holds it in his hands like a cup of water. Psalm 65, 7 says, You silence the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. Tumult means chaotic, confusing disorder. But in the face of God, even the roaring seas are silenced. Last week, I, I took a, a trip to the suburbs of Chicago in order to uh, attend a conference at Willow Creek the conference centered on how the local church can be involved in global mission. And one of the activities that I participated in was what's called a poverty simulation uh, that was put on by an organization called Hope International. This simulation attempted to be an immersive learning experience designed to help participants glimpse into the realities of the tumult of extreme poverty. And it ended up being a very powerful experience for me personally. Throughout the course of the activity, the group made choices that attempted to uh, mimic the complex obstacles faced by those who live uh, this life every day of their lives. And I'm not allowed to talk about much of the activity itself. They asked me not to, but um, because you might decide to participate in it one day. But I will say that one of the things that they did to stimulate or simulate the tumult of roaring mass confusion was to play loud heavy metal music while banging pots and pans and asking us to perform simple tasks. It, it was hard for us to think about anything other than what was just being screamed at us by the people running the activity. See, the, the disciples would have known their own degree of tumult living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And now Jesus seems to be offering hope by silencing the roaring waves. They, they felt that before they got into the boat. Psalm 89, 9 says, You rule the raging seas. When its waves rise, you still them. The word rule there actually means rule, to, to exercise dominion, like, like a king has dominion over a kingdom. 
And wasn't Jesus just saying something about that? Psalm 93 says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of mighty waves. More majestic than the waves of the sea. Majestic on high is the Lord. Floods were one of the greatest fears in the ancient world. Your whole life could be washed away. But here the psalmist says that that even still more majestic than the thunderous waves is the Lord on high. There seems to be a connection of God to the sea. That even though the sea is chaotic, the sea breeds uh, confusion, the sea is terrifying. Even in this, Hebrews, they built it into their literature. This connection that no matter how terrifying and chaotic the sea is, God holds it in his hands. They reused the image of the sea to remind each other of God's sovereignty. One more quote from the Psalms. Maybe turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 107. Beginning in verse 23, it says, Some ships, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. They Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And for his wonderful works of humankind. To humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. See, it appears that even in the midst of of terrifying chaos in the arms of God, there still may be purpose, there still may be shelter, there still may be some semblance of peace, even in the midst of a storm, because you know who's in the boat with you. Somehow, in the, in the midst of a tumult of loud confusions, the Hebrews, they wanted us to remember, the Scripture wants to remind us that God is the anchor, God is the refuge, God is the lighthouse. But you know what? It's even better than that. There was also talk that one day God would deliver His people from this chaos in a more settled way, in a more permanent way. There was talk about how one would arise who would do, who would somehow exercise dominion over the chaos itself, over the turmoil itself, over the tumult of, of imperial oppression, like God exercising dominion over the roaring seas. The prophet Daniel spoke of this vision of four frightening, horrific beasts. And where did these beasts come out of? They came out of the sea. 
One was like the, the lion with, with eagle's wings, and the second was like a bear with razor-sharp teeth to devour bodies. The, the third was a leopard with wings. The fourth was, was different than the others. He was terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and was devouring and, and breaking in pieces and stamping with it what was left with his feet. So there's lots that we could take away if we dug into the details of that vision. But the bottom line is, like, think of the most terrifying thing that you can imagine. Coming out of the night sea like Godzilla about to attack Tokyo. Or Thanos possessing all six infinity stones. These monsters are coming out of the sea, and Daniel's vision then describes their destruction. He says, As I watched, the beast was put to death, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And then Daniel says something really extraordinary. As I watched the night visions, I saw one like a like a human being, like a, like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the, to the ancient one, or the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all people, all nations, all language would, languages would serve him. His dominion? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. So one day Jesus is teaching by the seaside. And this crowd begins to, to gather, and it was so large that, that he decided to, like, well, I'm going to get into a boat and just teach them right there from the boat while the people gather on the nearby land. And he tells them, he tells them about the economy of God's kingdom, about how um, that it, it's in God's character to be ridiculously generous with his love, with his word, just, just crazy, just in our eyes, just ridiculously generous. He knows his audience. So Jesus speaks in parables that use images that, would, that they would have been familiar with. And uh, for them, it was agriculture. So farming and sowing and seeds um, and just kind of the daily life of living in the first century. These are the things that he drew on. If it was in our time, he, he might have taught us about the parable of the interstate traffic jam or something. But make no mistake, Jesus' words have power. But then, at the end of the day, he tells his disciples, it's time to go. He says, we're going to go over to the other side. I have some work to do in the country of the Gerasenes, a, a city whose population was, was largely non-Jewish, and we're going to learn more about that next week. They probably would have had to trial, travel some 7 to 11 miles to get there, but on the way, this storm arises. And the waves beat the boat, and the craft um, begins to quickly fill with water. And even the disciples who were fishermen weren't used to sailing at night, right? Even today, the Sea of Galilee is known for sudden storms. But typically, they, they come during the day. So the thought of being out in the middle of the sea at night would have 
terrified them in, the great, in, a, in a great storm. But Jesus, calming all of that commotion, oh, calmly ignoring all of that commotion, was in the stern of the boat. And where was he? Again, kind of comedy. Asleep on a cushion. Like, Mark's really laying that on thick. Frantically, they wake Jesus up. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, evidently unfazed by the situation, wakes up and rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. That's a funny way of putting it, isn't it? it? It adds kind of a personification to the storm. Like Jesus was saying, all right, all right, settle down. I think we made our point. At that point, there was a complete change in environment. The NRSV says that there was dead calm. Other translations says it was completely calm or perfectly calm. The the message says the sea became smooth as glass. It's like when you're walking near a lake at the quiet part of the day. Maybe you're at an area where, where rarely people go and you walk up to the water and everything is just perfectly still. You would almost feel guilty throwing a rock in the water to to ruin this perfectly calm moment. That's what happens when Jesus calms the storm. I I picture him kind of laying it on thick. Maybe not only the sea was, was calm, but maybe the sky was too. One moment the disciples are frightening and they're terrified by the waves that are about to destroy this boat and the rain's beating down and they they can't tell which way is up and they're yelling at each other and they don't know what to do and fear is completely overtaken. Their ability to think through the situation in the next moment. Peace. Be still. Silence. The sea becomes smooth as glass. The stars are above them. The clouds have parted, and all of a sudden, their frantic behavior seems outrageously misplaced. Jesus says to them, why were you afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still not get it? Don't don't you know who I am? The lesson Jesus had been teaching them all day long was now manifested in a very physical sense. God's sovereign power, the same power that created the world, the same power that set the captives free, the same power that claims control, sovereignty over nature itself, that power is being unleashed because the kingdom is at hand. Here's the thing, Jesus didn't come to clear the skies. He didn't come so that we could always be sure to have calm seas and smooth sailing. He came to declare sovereignty over the whole thing. I think that the key to the whole thing can be found in Jesus' words, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, when I first read that, my initial impulse was to assume that Jesus was saying, like, Faith is good, fear is bad. The Bible repeatedly says, don't be afraid. So therefore, I thought, you know, um, uh, have faith, trust Jesus to calm the storms of your life. And then I went for a walk and I rethought that. After all, doesn't it say in Proverbs 9, 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? I didn't even uh, know Kevin was going to read Psalm 34 
um, it, it talked about the fear of the Lord there. So maybe the problem wasn't that the disciples had fear. Maybe the problem was that their fear was misplaced. The problem was that they were all fear and no faith. Their fear was a tumult, chaotic, mass confusion. That fear had overwhelmed them to the point of them being petrified, and their faith didn't even appear to be a part of the equation. People in the ancient world, as well as our own, have good reason to take the sea seriously. If you were on a boat at, at night in the middle of the sea with people that you cared about, and this big storm came out of nowhere, it would be a reasonable response for you to concern yourself with whatever steps you could take to secure the boat. But here's the thing. The disciples didn't wake Jesus up and say, "Um, Master, uh, a great storm has arisen. We must be alert, secure the boat, and trust that God will get us through the night. No. No, they panicked, and they woke him up. How did they wake him up? Like, not with, hey, Jesus, we should maybe do something. They woke him up with violent accusations. Jesus, we're about to die. Don't you care? So the volume knob on their fear was like turned up to 11. The rear tumult, the real storm was their fear overtaking their ability to appropriately respond to the situation and realize who was actually in the boat with them. But we can also take into consideration that their faith may have been misplaced as well. Jesus has, have you still no faith? Evidently, their volume knob on their faith was turned down to zero. We're more than a quarter of the way through Mark's gospel now. The disciples have seen and heard some incredible things. They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen Jesus put demons in their place. They've seen him speak with authority on matters of God's kingdom. He's challenging everything they know about everything. He's even referred to himself as that son of man character. But in the midst of the storm, whatever faith they had that Jesus might just be who he was, was somehow gone, and all they could think to do is accuse him of not caring. I picture Jesus waking up, calming that storm, and reminding them of the sort of power that he has, and then when he says, have you still no faith? It's actually, it's it's as if he's saying, you know what? Actually, I care quite a bit. Do you? Because from the looks of things, you guys have been so terrified for some time now. You're just now waking me up as like a last resort. And the only thing that you can think to do now is yell at me. Jesus, don't you care? God, don't you care? Jesus doesn't want to just be the first and last person we go to for help. He wants to declare sovereignty over the storm itself. And help us to see that even though the waves are crashing and the situation looks helpless, he is there in the boat with us. That's the lesson the disciples learn to a much greater degree as they watch as Jesus is arrested and crucified. It's a lesson we must learn as we face the storms of the day, storms such as one billion people who were created in the image of the living God, stuck in a cycle of poverty. 
our impulse may be to shake our fist at God in the midst of this chaos and yell, God, don't you care? And he looks at us and says, have you still no faith? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? Do you have any idea how much I care? And we might continue with those accusations and we say, well, well, why don't you do something, God? He looks at us and he says, you know what I did? I gathered all my resources. I looked at all my options. I saw you there in your sinfulness, there in your wickedness, there in all of the ways that you stand in opposition to my holiness. And I sent my son to die for you on the cross. You want to know what I did about the chaos? I sent you. And then when the waves start crashing and the boat fills with water, Jesus wants us to know that even though it is loud and chaotic, he is there. He wants to tell us that he's never left us. He wants to tell us that we've never gotten out from underneath his shelter. Let's pray. Lord, there are days we see, we feel these storms raging. These storms like poverty, these storms such as homelessness, addiction, these storms of sin, these storms of pain that people created in your image, they're going through. Father, help us to be the church. Help us to be this church who receives all of your grace, who receives all of your peace, and then opens up our doors to reflect that back to a hurt, hurting and broken world. Father, call us um, to what you would have our purpose be. Have us seek first your kingdom. Have us aligned to your kingdom as we follow your path, as we live in obedience to your word. Because the moment we look to ourselves, we look to something other than you, then that's just going to lead to more chaos. It's going to lead to more um, uh, lies that tell us that the waves are more powerful than the one who created the storm. Father, help us see through this. Help us see a path. Help us see your love. Help us hear the calling that you would have for us today. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.